0: Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with pastor teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Macedonia, Ohio. Daniel chapter 3 and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 3 score cubits and the breadth thereof 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes the governors and the captains the judges the treasurers the counselors the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then, the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, and herald cried aloud to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. But there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Here as we come into chapter 3 of Daniel, it's been some years since the last dream of the last image that we dealt with, the dream of the different metals of the different empires and the prophecy that came through that. We're not told exactly how many years has passed from that dream until finally the erection or the establishment of this image, but some say it could be as long as 20 years have passed since the last one. We're not exactly told, but either way, by this time, Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon, the kingdom itself is increased, they have enjoyed tremendous success, they are expanding their reaches through different provinces throughout the world, into the far east and beyond, and he is now the ruler of the world. So when we come to this chapter, we find that he sets up an image, and more than likely it does have some kind of result because of the dream that he had concerning this image that he found frightful. I have a suspicion that the reason that he is making this image is because he feels by this point he is just an absolute power. And so this image that is erected has no different metals, but it's just sheer gold. It's made, it says in verse 1, the height of it was around 90 feet and it's an image of solid gold, three score cubits or ninety feet and he sets this thing up and it says in the Plain of Dura we're not exactly sure where the Plain of Dura is, the archaeologists haven't really located this specific spot we have a pretty good idea where it may be or a couple locations but we're not sure they're in the province of Babylon or as we know it of course today is in Iraq somewhere. But what I'd like to notice and remind us of is the movements and the design of this endeavor. He's not just erecting a large statue. There's are some movements that are taking place. This didn't happen overnight. You can't just build a 90-foot statue and have it erect and standing straight up without some sort of foundation. It's got to be on some kind of pedestal. It took some time to build this. It took some time to melt down the gold and to pour it over. If it, in fact, is solid gold and the shaping and the craftsmanship that would take place, this didn't happen overnight. But in the recorded things for us here in Daniel, in the prophecies of Daniel, we have to notice that the movements of it, and also the design of the endeavor of what's taking place. So look at it in 2. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together, and he lists it twice, and it's a long list. It's almost cumbersome when you're reading it, because you read this long list, and then in the very next verse, it's repeated again. I and mean, it's done that way for a purpose. He's making an emphasis by this. He doesn't just say all the rulers of the people. But he lists them one by one by one so that we realize that he has invited all the dignitaries of the land. He gathers the elites of the land. Anybody who has anything to do with authority, he invites them to an exclusive preview. And so what he is doing is, is, he's inviting everyone who is anyone, a who's who guest book, and he's bringing them together before the masses are invited, but he's bringing them in to make them feel like they are the elites. We call this schmoozing. <laughs> this is what he's doing. He's getting everybody together. But there's things that are planned that no one knows about yet. He's bringing everybody who's anybody and bringing them in and making them feel important. He's making them feel exclusive. You guys, this is a huge global setup, but you have the VIP tickets to come. So he lists every single one, and the Word of God is expressing this. It says... All together, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the provinces, to come to this dedication, this unveiling of this image that is so great, which the king Nebuchadnezzar sets up. And in three, he repeats the whole thing again. Because he wants you to get the idea that this is an inside job. These are inside men and women that are coming at this point. So he lists them all again. Verse 3, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers. He doesn't want anybody to feel left out. And he wants you to know that as a reader and a studier of this prophecy. The whole governmental system is invited. Everyone. We have to include them all. Make them all feel and understand how important they really are. That they take care of the peasants and that you're not one. Those people are the peasants and they need government. Big government. Strong government. So let's make you feel like you are who you are, the authorities of the land, the true authorities of the land, and come. And so what then he does? He brings them and he lists them all again in verse 3. All the rulers of the provinces, they gather together in this huge bowl-looking area, likely something similar to Vegas in the 50s when they first began. There's mountains or higher areas. We have this plain, kind of a bowl-looking area, a huge amphitheater, perfect for bringing all these people in for a dedication of this image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And it says, And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The idea there is is they are just in awe. Look at this. Look how large this thing is. Look how it glistens in the sun. This is like polished gold. It looks like a huge mirror of an image set out here in the plain. But then, it's seemingly unexpected. At least to the authorities, we have verse 4. It says then in 4, Then a herald cries aloud, and it seems as though everyone is gathered around, and everybody is in awe of this statue. The focus is awe on the statue. And all of a sudden, when there's silence, you have a herald that just comes from behind the statue, or sent from somewhere inconspicuous. And this herald shouts from the top of his voice a message. And he says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear this music... Now you have to understand, this is very planned out. This herald just didn't come out of nowhere. This wasn't an idea that just popped into his head. <laughs> I think it would be a good idea if we, maybe we have a, oh, a full orchestra here on hand. You know, It was like they were all unveiled. This was already pre-planned, but the people didn't realize it. But it doesn't matter. We already got them. We already have them schmoozed. We already have them feeling like they're important. We already have them on our side. So now let's unveil the real plan not just the statue. This herald cries aloud. It's commanded. It's not a suggestion. That's why you guys are the authorities. You have to make sure that the command goes out to all the people, nations, languages, the world. And then he gives the details and the logistics of it. Look at it in 5. It says, And at what time you hear the sound of the coronet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music. You fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. This is a grand scheme from the beginning. And what he is doing is, is he is in control now. What we find right here in this verse is a one world government. All the authorities are here as one unit. All are commanded as one. And it's not only politics and as a one world government that is all banded together. What happens next, of course, is a one world religion. Because the command is when you hear the sound of the flute, the harp, the sackbutt, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, the command is what follows that you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So he is forcing them. To worship. And anybody who abstains from this worship, anyone, in the nations, in the languages, is a person then who is punished by death. So this is a forced global worship. Verse 6, Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Which was a very common thing in the eastern days. They would have a huge kiln and you would have something in the bottom for the vent to come through and the air to rise through and then they would pour and they would burn different metals and things like this. They would have a mountain of a hill on one side so that they can pour in the metals of or the ores and they would drop it into the kiln and it would burn and the dross would rise to the top. And this was a common thing. It was also common in the Eastern culture to use this as torture, a public hanging, or a lynching, or a burning alive. So then, in seven, now look at look at the details here. He says, therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So you see this playing out in your mind, don't you? should have a question then. Well, how did they hear it? The next thing is, is in verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans, now we remember from previous messages who the Chaldeans are, this is not a nationality. The Chaldeans were thought of as extra smart people. This is the group of the elite elites, the aristocrats, the ones who run all the universities, the boards, the trustees of the upper echelons of their education. These are the the wisest of the wise men. The Chaldeans was a term just meaning pure wisdom. Wherefore, at that time, certain of these higher-ups came near and accused the Jews. Take note on how that's said. Because it's not said in a polite way. It's said with a tone of hatred. The Jews. That same phrase has continued from the garden, from Abraham in the beginning of the Jews, through here to today, and will happen through the future. That's the term, the Jews. And it's said that way. The Jews. They're accusing the Jews. Notice they don't call them Hebrews or Israelites, but it's the derogatory anti-Semitism that prevails. Wherefore, at that time, certain of the very, very elite Chaldeans came and accused the Jews for disobedience to the call. Now, the question again. This says that it's all nations and languages. This is a global initiative. They didn't have what we think that they have. They have a full orchestra in the plain of Dura. But how is it that the command to worship then, that goes out in a global way, when you hear the sound of the flute, the horn, the sackbite, and the harp, and all these things, when you hear that, you have to bow down and worship, and if you don't, it's penalized by death. But when you get to be about 50 miles out, I would imagine that this sound begins to diminish. Don't you? Well, there's a question, and this is a because we have to be reminded that this is not... Just a history lesson. And there are lots of Bible teachers that will use this as just a simple history lesson. Because they don't regard prophecy the way that we regard prophecy. They don't look at this. They don't see the things that are taking place. And what we're going to do is we're going to head into the book of Revelation and show the parallels. And if you discuss things with these people of a different camp, they will say, I don't see how you get this out of that. But it's the same way and the same consistency in hermeneutics and Bible treatment. When you go to Isaiah 53, there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people who will not recognize the prophecy of Isaiah 53 and say that that's talking about Jesus Christ. Or Psalm 22, when I was in Israel. That was my tool of witnessing. I took a Hebrew Bible. We'll go up to the Jews, because you're not allowed to evangelize. So I would take a Hebrew Bible, turn to Psalm 22, and ask the gentleman, could you read this for me in your own Hebrew tongue? And then he would read through the psalm. And I would say, now, does that not sound like the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? And they would deny it. But we know that that's what that's about. We know what Psalm 22 is about the cross. Isaiah 53 is the suffering Messiah. The same framework of hermeneutics, the interpretation of Scripture, you must be consistent in order to be a good Bible student. And what you'll do is you'll find people who deny premillennial, pre tribulational doctrine by taking this out and saying, well, we don't apply that framework to this. This is simply historical. Which then you throw the baby out. Daniel is what? A book of prophecy. It's teaching about the latter days, the time of the Gentiles. It's teaching in the main thrust as a transition of dominion through time until finally the end comes when the stone comes, crushes it down, and the millennium is set up. That is found throughout the whole thread of the book itself and especially here in Daniel. So when we're looking at this, we have to remember, wait a minute, this isn't just a narrative of some king setting up a statue. He's saying much more. And you find this throughout the Scriptures completely. This is not just a history lesson, this is the Word itself played out in history. So if we throw a ribbon here, and we may come back, I'm not sure, but if we go over to Revelation chapter 11 and 13, we find the parallels here. What I like to deal with in Revelation chapter 11 is the question, how does this become global? How is it that when the band plays in some plane in Dura, in the middle of Iraq, somehow, some way, it's going to go global and we're all going to know? There was a question that has bothered preachers for a lot of years and we find that same style of question here in 11. So what we'll do is we'll apply the same hermeneutics or the same method of interpretation. Look at it in Revelation chapter 11. He's talking of obviously the future time that is to come. In verse 3 of Revelation 11 it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and three and days clothed in sackcloth. He's talking about a time in the future during Jacob's trouble or the tribulational period, the seven years of trib, when there are two prophets that are are given this special dignity in preaching the gospel. He says there are two prophets, they're the law and the prophets, so they represent the law of the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament. These two men, they begin to prophesy, and it's a specific measure of time in sackcloth, meaning they're in mourning. It says that these two are like olive trees, and again, the symbolism here in the book of Revelation, he's assuming that you know what this means. He calls them, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Why doesn't he give the interpretation of that? What does that mean? He assumes you already know. That's why he doesn't tell you what this is. He's giving symbolism, but he assumes that you're familiar with the whole Old Testament. And if you were, you would know what that's talking about. The interpretation for the book of Revelation is found in Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the other prophets. The prophets are subject to the prophets. So he just assumes that we know this. So we won't have to go through those things yet, we're trying to get to the answer of the question anyway. And so in 6, these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not. They're giving extra power to preach and to do miracles. But look at it in 7. It says, and when they shall have finished their testimony, when they finally run their course of preaching, it says, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. The beast here is Satan's false Christ. He's going to be let loose out of the bottomless pit to war against these two prophets, and God will allow them full safety until their ministry is completely over. When their time has come, and the last minute is there, then God allows these men to be killed. Which, you know, when you think about that, that's one of those things I just don't care for. I don't understand. Why does God allow such wickedness to take place? Why does He allow the devils to get out of the pit to come up and kill His people? I don't care for that, but that's the way it is. He's God and I'm not. I would say, God, you probably should have did it a little differently. Maybe instead of having them killed and suffer, why don't you just have them carried away in a rapture or taken away in a chariot of fire or some kind of great thing like that. But that's not what he does. He lets the beast out, a false Christ. And we'll learn about these things because he says in 7, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit, later we're going to find that in Daniel more again, where he talks about the horn, the king, and the toes. Now we already dealt with the toes. Little kingdoms. they are going to be horns later. That is talking about the kings. So you can see how Daniel and Revelations go hand in hand in their symbolism. We'll look at it in 8. It says, "...and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt." Which is an interesting description of a particular city, especially when it says, "...where also our Lord was crucified." And actually, that's pretty sad, isn't it? The great city, the city of Zion, Jerusalem, where our Lord was crucified, at this time, what it's thought of spiritually is as Sodom. The Sodomites have just rolled over the planet. In Egypt, idolatry. Even in the capital religious of the world. But here's where we get to it. Once these two prophets are killed, it says their dead bodies shall lie in the street of this city. And in verse 9, and they of the people, and kindreds, and tongues, and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. But you have to circle the word see because it says that all the people, kindreds, tongues, and nations, in other words, a full global everyone around the planet, will be able to see these corpses laying in the street of Jerusalem for three whole days. Now, what boggles preachers from way back is how could that be possible? And I'm reading a book right now because I'm going to read anyone who's alive, because anybody who's writing today just about is worthless. Don't read any preachers. Don't go to your Christian bookstore and buy books, because that is a total waste of time. Don't buy the Jesus shirt. Don't buy all that stuff, because that's junk. If you want to get something that is actually worth something, don't buy the books that you find in the bookstore. Find the books that the people who wrote those books read. Because today everything is so watered down, but you won't actually get anything out of it. So read the books that those guys have read, or maybe the books that those guys have read, and then we'll get somewhere. So anyway, I'm reading this book that the guy was born in 1865, the year Abraham Lincoln. Civil War. And he dies in 1956. That is a very interesting life. This gentleman has gone from the Civil War to Abraham Lincoln's death all the way to Elvis Presley singing Jailhouse Rock. He went through World War I, World War II. Into Korea, he saw the 23 Ford that you had it crank by hand and everybody busted their knuckles when the thing spun out of control and they saw these jalopies riding down the road. He went from that all the way to riding in 1956 Cadillac with the fins going on, with, John, with Johnny Cash and all these guys jamming on the radio. Now that preacher, he saw a lot of stuff and one of the questions that he dealt with In this particular passage, how in the world could we have two dead bodies laying in the street for three whole days and everybody of the world see it? And of course, this question was answered. In 1927, they invented something called the TV. So a question that has perplexed expositors for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. In 1927, we got the answer. Then go through his life... And now we've invented the iPad, the iPod and the iPhone. And now we're coming across something called 5G. It's very easy at any time to get that thing on your phone. Breaking news. Taking you right to the scene where there are two people who have been murdered in Jerusalem and the cameras will be focused on them And spread out through 5G throughout the whole entire world. And everybody will watch it for three days straight. And everyone will know. And in fact, everyone throws a party. Look at the next verse. They won't suffer their bodies to be buried. They'll leave them lay there. And in verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and actually shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets of the Lord, they were tormented them that dwell on the earth. They were preaching the good news of Jesus, the gospel, to get saved. And they call it being tormented, but so much so that there's a global Christmas. So start putting the parallels together. What do we have going on in Daniel? We have a huge festival going on. All the governments are involved. All the rulers, sheriffs, treasurers, every single person comes. They're told everybody in the world has to bow down and worship when you hear the sound, of the flute, the harp, the sackbutt, the clarinet, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. How would they hear it? He's not focused on that time. He's focused on the future. It's a prophecy. They wouldn't hear it. But he's trying to tell us something. So when we turn just a page over to Revelation 13, we find almost the identical passage of Scripture to Daniel chapter 3. In Revelation 13, in verse 11, he says, I behold another beast. Now, these are not beasts like we think in our mind. These are beastly. These are human beings, but they're of beastly character. So they're called beasts in the Scriptures. But as you read through and you study, these are political people, these are humans, these are men and women, but they're called beasts. John, when he writes the Revelation, he says, "...I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth." And he had two horns. And again, we'll get into that into Daniel, so we'll learn more as we go. The horns. But it says that he had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. This is a false prophet. We've all heard the expression from the New Testament, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So he speaks, and he has horns like a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. It doesn't match. He is a false prophet. He is vicious and rapacious. He is absolutely wicked. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Verse 12, it says, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Didn't we just read something about that? Nebuchadnezzar sets up the statue, and he doesn't tell anybody to worship the statue. He has a herald do it. This guy doesn't tell people to worship. He has a herald do it. He has a prophet to do it. He has a forerunner to do it, an announcer. Do you see the parallels between John the Baptist as the announcer of the king and what's going on? You see, because we're dealing with the counterfeiter. The devil is the deceiver. He is trying to be like God, he is trying to act like God. He has an announcer, he has a forerunner, he has someone to exalt him. Jesus says, I only do the things that my Father tells me to do. I am here to exalt the Father. And so here, the false Christ, for the devil, does the same thing. He exercises all the power of the first beast, just like Jesus says, I only do those things that my Father tells me to do. And he does them in the power of the Spirit, not in his own. I mean, this is right down to the nickel. And it says, And he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, He's exalting them. He is the herald whose deadly wound was healed. And we'll get into that again too. It's a picture of the resurrection. He has been killed and now he's healed. Verse 13, And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Look what he says. Look at the message. And saying to them that dwell on the earth... That they should make an image to the beast. That's exactly what Daniel is talking about. You make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. In verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Now, it would be one thing to say, it's commanded to everyone that you all have to have a global religion by a one world government and everybody gets together and it's commanded unto you that you worship. Anytime you hear the music of the sound of the flute, the harp, the sack button, all the instruments and all the music plays, it's commanded unto you to worship. Some people would be like, well, I don't know. Even if it was punishable by death, some people would be like, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't worship statues. Although a lot of churches do. But what if that statue could talk? And that's exactly what happens. It's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. We're learning more as you go through the prophets. You learn of a base thing with not very many details. Then you go to the next prophet, and the next prophet tells you the same story. It sure sounds like the same story. I mean, doesn't this sound familiar? I swear, I just read it. And then you go to the next prophet, and he tells the same exact kind of thing. But with more details, it's precept upon precept upon precept, and we're learning until finally all the details are given to us so that we could recognize that there is an Antichrist coming who will try to rule the world. And the Bible says, and they worshipped him. All the world worshipped him. And even the doubters, they'd say, no, no, no. You've got to show me. I can't believe unless I see it. And then finally the image actually speaks. Now, that must be true. But still, how is it going to be that everyone in the world does a one-world religion and worships all at the same time? To them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword, did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Just like in Daniel. If you don't worship the beast, you will all be killed. But how will he know? Well, we already know. They're building a 5G network. So that when the music plays... And we already know. I mean, don't we already know that they're watching you? I mean, don't it sounds like conspiracy. It sounds like it's crazy, don't it? But you don't think Facebook... And these big tech giants aren't watching you? Hey Google, where can I buy jeans for cheap? Well, let me tell you. Well, where could I worship an image at? Well, let me tell you. And then the thing starts talking back. You don't say, hey Google, they say, hey you. The music's about to play. And if you don't, bow down. And just so you know, there's cameras and everything that you have. So it isn't like they can't see. And I think as I'm looking at your faces, I think half of you have already said, This guy has lost his mind. <laughs> he is a conspiracy theorist. He is absolutely nuts. Somebody bring bring a deacon over to get him off. <laughs> wait wait till it gets worse. Ain't nobody gonna believe that story. That's nuts. You guys are nuts. It's nuts. That's Bible. it is nuts. That's why no one will believe it in the end. Because the first thing we're going to do is eliminate all those people who preach that message. Because that no one will even know. So if you do preach this message, you are absolutely nuts. And then He has you. He deceives all the nations. Tribe, tongue, language, everyone, all the people bow down. One of the things that they'll do, and they're already doing, is corrupting the words of the book. Somebody asked me a question when I was at a pastor's conference about the new Christian music. And he said something, and we started talking about music background and things. We were just having coffee, you know, it was a very light conversation. He said something about one thing or another, and he said, you know, about music. And I said, yeah, yeah. He asked me some of my testimony, and I said, oh, I used to tour with the dead. He's like, oh, the dead. I thought, this guy's never heard the dead before, but it sounds scary. <laughs> they're a bunch of hillbillies, really. I mean, I love little funky things here and there, but for the most part, they're just hillbillies. He goes, that must be really dark. I thought to myself, yeah, about as dark as the fish. I was (laughs) half-kidding. I think I'm kidding. But I think some of you found it on Instagram that one of the main authors of the songs that a lot of the churches sing just publicly posted, he does not believe in God. That didn't happen overnight. Here it comes. The falling away. And it's from the inside out. There will be no attacks from the outside. It all comes from within. The wolves in sheep's clothing. And then there will be a remnant that's very small. And it will get smaller and smaller and smaller until finally there's two prophets left. And they will kill them in the street. And they will have a Christmas party over the last two that are gone. But then comes the king. Right when you think that we have lost all hope, the king cometh and destroys them all. And we rise from the dead victorious and triumphant just like he did. If you believe, you must, you must believe. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.